Isaiah chapter 64, Isaiah the prophet writes. He writes this. He says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Isaiah writes in a dark time. He writes a song of lament, a song of grieving. If you look just a few verses before these verses, Isaiah talks to God and he says, you are our father. And then he goes on and he says, though Abraham, you know, one of our earthly ancestors, one of our fathers, or Israel, or Jacob, our earthly fathers, though they do not know us or acknowledge us, he says, you, Lord, are our father. Our Redeemer from of old is your name. But then he goes on and he says, Why, Lord, do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so we do not revere you? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes that are your inheritance. For a little while, your people possessed your holy place. For a little while in our history, we entered into the temple to worship you. He says, but now our enemies have trampled down your sanctuary. They've destroyed it. We are yours from of old, but you have not ruled over them. You are not their father. You're not their God in the same sense that you're our father and our God. They have not been called by your name, and yet we have been called by your name. And it's in this this atmosphere of deep hurt and of deep lament and of deep loss and of exile and of destruction, all those things that come from war, the desolation that comes from war, that Isaiah says to God, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. In the, in the Old Testament, in biblical times, when people were distraught, either by their sin, when they were grieved by their sin and they wanted to repent, or if something bad had happened to them and, and they were torn up inside, they would often take their clothes and they would tear them as a sign of the grief that they carried within them, as a sign of their broken hearts, as a sign of the pain deep in their souls. And they would go around with ashes on their heads and with their, tor with their clothes torn. And Isaiah writes, he writes to God. He says to God, he cries out to God, oh, that you would rend the heavens. Oh, that you would tear the heavens. 
Oh, that you would identify with my pain, with our pain. What grieves you today? Is there some place in your heart where it feels like your heart has been torn in two? What are you longing for God? Where are you longing for God to join you in your grieving? Where does it hurt? Where are you torn up inside? Oh, that you would rend the heavens, Isaiah says. Oh, that you would identify with me in my pain, in my broken heart, in that place where the most inside part of me has been torn apart. Oh, that you would rend the heavens. Oh, that you would tear the heavens. And join me in my grief. He says, but don't just join me in my grief. I want you, God, to actually come down. He says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And he remembers back to those places where God joined his people, where he moved on behalf of his people. He says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies. He's wanting God to act on behalf of his people. He's saying, God, why don't you act on behalf of your people? We're here in a place of desolation in a place of aloneness, in a place of deep pain. Oh God, why don't you come down and act on behalf of your people? And he goes on in verse 3 and he says, For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. That phrase, we did not expect. He's thinking back in Israel's history. He's remembering those times when God came down and literally when Moses went up on the Mount of si- on Mount Sinai and he met with God and God says, "Don't let anyone come near the mountain. You must consecrate yourselves and be holy for I am holy and don't let anyone, any animal, any person come to, come to the foot of the mountain, come near the mountain or touch the mountain." Because if you do, you will die. And God came down and he met with Moses. And he gave him the Ten Commandments and the entire mountain shook. And there were flashes of lightning and there was thunder. And God spoke. Oh God, why don't you come down? Isaiah says, why don't you come down like you came down on Mount Sinai? Why don't you come down, God, like you came down for Elisha and your people at the top of Mount Carmel? In a time when there was no rain and people were living in disobedience to God and there was a contest, Elijah set up a contest between God, the God of Israel, and Baal. 
the foreign god that many of the people had turned towards, that many of the people of Israel had turned towards. And he says, you know what? We're going to have a contest. And whichever god answers by fire, we'll know that he's the true god. And that's the one, that's the god we'll worship. So he gave the priests of Baal first shot. They set up an altar to Baal. They danced around the altar. Baal didn't respond. They became more and more frenzied. They began to cut themselves and let their blood flow, trying to get Baal to respond, trying to somehow control or manipulate Baal and get him to respond. Elijah said, you know what? Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's, you know, going to the bathroom. Baal did not respond. Finally, it was Elijah's turn, and he takes and sets up an altar, and he puts the wood on top of the altar for the sacrifice. He puts the sacrifice on top, and then he pours water over it. Not only does he pour water all over the wood and over the stone, but he digs a ditch, and the water fills the ditch. And he prays to God, and God responds with fire. And the fire licks up everything. Oh, God, why don't you come down? Why don't you come down like you came down for the Elijah and the people of Israel on the top of Mount Carmel? Why don't you come down like you came down for Moses and the people of Israel on Mount Sinai? Oh, God, why don't you come down? We didn't expect it then. We didn't expect that dramatic entrance then. Why don't you come down? He goes on and he says, Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Since ancient times, no one has seen any God who acts on behalf of those who wait on you, on those who hope for you. It's the same word, hope, wait. Since ancient times. Isaiah is part of a big story. The people of Israel are a part of a big story. As we sit here today, we're part of a big and ancient story. And Isaiah, as he's writing, I'm sure he's remembering all the times that God came down from ancient times. And his people waited for him. They hoped for him. Perhaps remembering how God came down and walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. But they turned from him and they disobeyed him. Perhaps he's remembering Noah and God's call to Noah to build the ark that humankind and animals 
might be spared in the midst of this flood. Perhaps he's remembering Abraham, a man who grew up in a place that was far from the place that God called him to go. And yet God called him, and Abraham and his family obeyed. And they left their home, their only home, the only home they had ever known. And they traveled through the wilderness, up and around, to the place God was calling them to. Maybe he's remembering David and God's covenant with David, that there will always be someone from David's line on the throne. God, from ancient times, has continuously made covenant with his people. And as Isaiah is there at, towards the tail end of what in our Bibles we understand is the Old Testament, we're getting ready to move into the New Testament. The people are waiting. They're longing. They're hoping. They're in a place of desolation. The temple has been destroyed. They're in exile. They're stuck in their sin. Oh God, why don't you come down? We want you to work in ways, we recall how you worked in ways that we did not expect. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for you. Later on in this same chapter, in verse, verse 8 of chapter 64 of Isaiah, Isaiah says, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We're in this place of desolation. In many ways, you appear to have left us to our own devices. You appear to have left us on our own. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work. Of your hands. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. I remember back when I was in high school, I took a couple pottery courses. And one thing about clay if you've ever worked with clay, is that when you first pick it up, it's, it's not soft at all. It's very, very hard. And if you're going to form anything with clay, if you're going to make anything useful out of clay, you've got to hold it in your hand. And the warmth from your hand has to start permeating the clay so that it can be molded, so that it can be shaped.
you are the potter. God, you are our father. We are the clay. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him, who acts on behalf of those who hope for him. God, we are in this desperate place. We look at the world and it's, it's desperate. We look at our hearts and they're torn. There's pain in our hearts. There's pain in the world. We want you to come down. And yet we wait. And we wait. Waiting is something that's hard for us. It's not something that comes naturally. We want a response. We want things to change. And yet God's time is different. God calls us and he invites us to wait. And how do we wait? We wait with anticipation. Anticipation that God will move. We wait remembering that he is our father, that he is the potter, and that we are the clay. And if we desire for God to change us, and if we desire for God to mold us, where do we have to stay? Right here, right? We have to stay right here in his hands. We have to stay right there, close to him, in the warmth of his hands. And he continues to work. And he continues to heat up the clay. He continues to mold us and to shape us and to make us. And so we wait. something that's really counter-cultural to our society, to the way that we live. We don't, we don't like to wait, do we? We don't like pain. We don't like discomfort. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And in the New Testament, we see that God does rend the heavens. And God does come down. But not in the way that Isaiah or anyone else expected. God comes down helpless as a baby, full of vulnerability, dependent on his parents. God comes down and he becomes one 
of his people. He steps into the story that he's been writing since ancient times, and he becomes one of us. We are a part of that story. You are a part of that story. Let's pray. Thank you.